Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. And there's nothing more like an apostolic portion of a service where you're calling out the name of Jesus. Where you're calling upon the name of Jesus. That, that, it's that same name that can save. It's that same name that can do that. And so what a great way to segue to start off this series. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about some of the things that are foundational truths for apostolics. Everyone say foundation. foundation. So we're going to be talking about, and here's the deal. I have a lot of notes tonight. And so if you are a note taker, you do want to be able to jot things down fast. But we cannot spend... You know, we can do the next three weeks and talk about some of our foundations, but we can't cover everything in great detail. And so uh, if you're a note taker, please make sure you're just going really fast with me. But I have a lot of scriptures uh, to go through tonight, but I'm I'm, I'm excited for this series because, you know, we can say we're apostolic. But until you know that you are truly apostolic, that's where it starts changing things when you when you're educated as to why you say I'm an apostolic. And so tonight I'm going to be talking about how uh, through faith, grace and repentance and baptism, those are some of our core beliefs right there. And so I'm I'm super excited for that. But when, when you think about DNA, it says in recent years, DNA tests have become an important part of our culture. DNA simply defined is material that governs each person's inheritance of eye color, hair color, stature, bone density, along with many other human traits. The cells of the human body contain a complete sample of a person's DNA. A single string or a strand of DNA is packed into a space roughly equal to a cube one millionth of an inch on a side. Basically, every part of the human body is made of these cells, and each contains a sample or complement of DNA identical to that of every other cell within a given person. For just the simple terms, your DNA tells you who you are. Your DNA tells you exactly who you are. When I think about the complexity of, the, of DNA, I think of David's words penned in Psalm 139.14. It says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. We realize quickly that God designed every single body perfectly and in order. We believe that God is the creator of human life. We believe God is the one who started the earth, and he's the one who's going to end the earth. And if you believe that, shout amen. Amen. And so the question I got to ask is simply this. What does an apostolic believer believe when it comes to faith? When people say, I have faith, what does it actually mean? And so to answer that question, you actually have to rephrase the question. Instead of saying, what does an apostolic believer believe when it comes to faith? You got to ask, what is faith according to scripture? Because we're going to set just the foundational element right away. If you are apostolic, you believe in every word of God in the Bible. You don't change it to make it fit a doctrine of mankind. You don't change it to better fit your life. But you take the word of God as is, and that's how you look at everything. And so the question is, what is faith according to Scripture? And I'm going to fly through some verses right away. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. Simply put, faith, is, faith means believing in the unseen or the unknown. Without demonstrating faith and trust in God, we have no place with God. And I say that because you go to Hebrews eleven six, 6, but it says, but without faith. Everyone say, without faith. 
without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. It is impossible to please God if you do not have faith. Again, you take the definition of the scripture where it says for, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You have not seen God face to face yet, but we have faith believing that God is still real and God is still moving. Even though you have not seen it, you cannot see air, you cannot see oxygen, but however, it is keeping you alive, right? So the fact is, if you have faith in God, that means you've never seen him, but you know he's alive. And you know he's still doing well in 2022. He's still doing the things of God. You find out in Hebrews 11 that it is considered the hall of faith. It's considered the hall of faith chapter where it provides examples of so many great men and women of faith. If you go through the whole chapter, it says, By faith, Abel. By faith, Enoch. By faith, Noah built an ark. He did not know what was to come, but he knew that God told him to build an ark to save his family. It keeps on going to say, By faith, Abraham went to search out the promised land, even though the scriptures say he did not know where he was going. By faith, Sarah. By faith, Isaac. By faith, Jacob. By faith, Joseph. You find all of these great men and women of scripture, they all operated in faith. Every miracle that took place in their life, every bit of God's provision in their life, it came by faith. Everyone shout faith. We realize faith is not just when when, when things are going good in their life. We don't just have faith when things are going and we have the mountaintop experience where we're thinking, you know what? God is taking care of our family and I have so much faith because of that. Friends, faith is not relegated upon where you stand in life today, but faith is believing that God's will is the most important thing you can possibly do. Faith is not hoping for a predetermined outcome. As much as we would love to have a predetermined outcome in our life at times, when we're going through a situation and we're saying, God, I have faith that you're going to bring me through, oftentimes we have an idea of what we're asking for. We're saying, God, we want you to bring us through and give us X, Y, Z. However, faith is not hoping for a predetermined outcome. Rather, faith is simply saying, Lord, let your will be accomplished. That is the ultimate faith in God when you say, God, not my will, but your will. I know I have a plan for my life. I have a plan for what I'm going through. But God, whatever your will is, let it be. That is faith. When you understand that faith is simply asking God to have his way and let his will be done, you're going to change your entire view of scripture. You're going to change your entire view of what happens in people's life because you look at men like Job who went through incredible trials. They went through incredible hard things in his life. He lost his family. He lost all of his assets. He lost all these things around him, but yet he, he kept his faith. His own wife said, hey, Job, how about you just curse God and die? How about you just curse God and say, we're going through all these hard things. But Job did not say that. He said, I have faith in God. His will is what's most important. His will is most important. Having faith in God is the same thing as asking God to let his will be done. Our faith and God's will should always be in agreement. Our faith should be aligned with God's will. And if we think God did not hit the note perfectly, you're not looking at it correctly. Right? If you're saying, you know what, God, I I know the best things for me. I know what I, I know the best plans for my family. And all of a sudden things don't turn out the right way. And you say, God, that surely that wasn't your will. But let me just encourage someone tonight when I say this simply, the, the simple statement here, that our faith in God's will should always be in agreement. It simply means we submit ourselves to the will of God. 
And once we submit our will, once we submit ourselves to the will of God, we realize our faith does not lack anything when things don't happen the way we think it because God's will is perfect. If it is the will of God to heal your body, it will happen. If, it, if it's God's will to, to provide for you financially, it will happen. But what you have to understand is you cannot lower your faith based upon what you think God's will is. But you got to find God's will. you got to find God's will. You have got to have faith in that. So why is it so important to have faith? Because God said simply this, that it was impossible to please God without faith. And my prayer tonight as I went into this portion of my study was simply this, God, increase my faith. God, increase my faith so when, I, when things don't go the way I think they should, don't let my walk with you just kind of go down a little bit. But God, increase my faith because here's the deal. We should never let opportunities slip us by because of our lack of faith. We should never see an opportunity and also we're like, you know what, that seems like a great opportunity, but my faith, surely God's not positioning me here. Surely God's not putting me here, right? This doesn't make, really make sense. Surely he knows my past. Surely he knows my ability. But yet, sometimes it's our faith that hurts us. God has a perfect plan for us. He has a perfect will for us. But sometimes we're seeing it and we're like, God, I'm not really sure we can actually handle this. But we should never let opportunities slip us by because of our lack of faith. But rather, we should have faith that God can do it. We should have faith that says, you know what, God, when I pray for the sick, I believe they're going to recover. I believe when I pray for those who are oppressed, I believe, God, you will set them free. When I, when I pray for my family for healing or whatever, I just believe God can do anything. I, no matter what's going on, I believe God can do it. And so that's the biggest thing is when you submit yourself to God and you say, God, I want my faith to be elevated because I know you can do it if it's your will. Lord, help us understand faith. Help us to increase our faith. Help us to do that. And it is with the same understanding of faith that moves me right into my next point. It requires faith that God will forgive us of our sins. He will blot out our past. The Bible is very clear in Romans 6, 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Simply put, simply put sin equals death. The gift from God equals eternal life. We realize that we all have a past here tonight. Every person sitting in this room tonight has a past. And also we all have a future. A lot of times the enemy wants to hold your past against you. He wants to hold on to the things that you've done last year or two years or ten years ago. He says, well, you did that. Surely you can't do whatever. But here's what we got to do. You, we have a past. I have a past. But we also have futures in God. Your past does not relegate your future. God can change anything. We understand that tonight. And so I got thinking about how, of course, we all have a past. We all have a future. If we are to have, if we are to have the true apostolic DNA, we must fully believe in the grace of God. Even when we may not agree with it. And here's what I mean by that. So-and-so did this. I cannot believe she would do that. I cannot believe he would do that. Or I can't believe that family went and did that. Sometimes we can be quick to judge and slow to give grace. I thank God he does not operate that way. Amen. Sometimes we can be quick to judge our neighbor, our coworker, our family member. We can be so quick to judge those situations, but yet we see God looking down at us. The amount of patience God has with me. 
I cannot tell you how much patience he has got to have a lot of patience for me. And I'm so grateful for the fact that when I ask God for forgiveness of my sins, he's not slow to give me the grace. He's not giving me a three-week plan, a three-week structure, a 10-week deal. He says, you are forgiven right now. And I am so grateful for that today, that God can absolutely forgive us of all of, of, all of our sins. I've asked myself before this question, am I actually extending the same type of grace that Jesus would offer to other people when they've wronged me? It's so hard to do when people wrong you personally. It could be a coworker, family, whatever it might be. The question I've asked myself before is simply that. Am I offering the same type of grace to them that Jesus would? The Bible is clear in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, one thing I love, I love about being an apostolic is that God does heal you. God does forgive you of your sins. He does blot out your past. But let's all be very clear. We can dress up really well on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday. But if you go back a year, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years in our life, you, you are not wearing a suit and tie and dressed all up for a Sunday morning service. Because the Bible is clear. We have all sinned and we've all come short of the glory of God. But I am grateful for the grace of God in my life. I am so grateful that God picked me up from the miry clay and he turned me around. And he set my feet on the rock to say, I am grateful for the grace of God. Romans 3, 24, you know, we, we stop at 23 a lot where we preach about for all have sinned and come short of the glory. We, we stop there. But if you go to the very next verse, it says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past. You realize quickly right here where it says being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have sinned. Yes, you have sinned. Yes, I have sinned. But we have redemption through Jesus Christ. It goes on to the same verse in verse 25 through faith in his blood. I find that so intriguing because when you're thinking about apostolic DNA, you think about faith and you think about all these different things. And we believe in, in, in the blood of the Lamb. We believe in the grace that God, uh, the, the, the blood that was shed on Calvary. We believe in all those things. But do we have faith in his blood? And what I mean by that is simply this. When you ask God for forgiveness, do you believe he forgave you immediately? Or do you hold on to the guilt? Do you hold on to the shame a little bit? Do you hold on to the things of the enemy who's saying, surely he cannot do that. But my friends, here, I'm here to preach a very simple message tonight. That his blood is still working in this year. He is still saving souls. He is still forgiving of sins. He is still setting the captive free. He is still doing a great work today. And I have faith that his blood is still operating. I have faith in his blood that it is still poured out from Calvary and it is still being dis it is still being shed for you and me today and I am so grateful that God saved me I am so grateful he he forgave me of all my sins I am so grateful for his blood I am so grateful for his mercy in my life where would I be without the grace of God I know we would not be here tonight if it had not been for the grace of God in my life, I would not be here tonight. The testimonies that go across this sanctuary, it, it, it's, a, it's a ton of them. And we can all agree that God's grace is truly sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. 
for my strength is made perfect in weakness. If God's grace is enough for me, it's enough for my family. It's enough for my coworker. It's enough for my neighbor. It's enough for whosoever will. His grace is still sufficient today. His grace is still sufficient. A lot of times I've been asked, you know, will God continue to forgive you of the same sin over and over and over again? Now, I've, I've gone through Bible studies. I've, I've, I've researched scriptures. I've gone through all these things, and I still don't see a scripture where it says once you sin the same thing more than once, he won't forgive you. I do think we have uh, an obligation as an apostolic, as a Christian, to start changing our ways. Because when you think about repentance, you realize it means to, to, to repent, to turn, to change your mind, to change your destination, to, to change your direction. So it's obviously the fact that the, we're still under the law of, the, gra- of, of dispens- the dispensation of grace. We're still under that law, which is so great. But that does not give us the right to continue to sin. Right? We understand that. And so I'm not trying to preach a doctrine which, you know, we do not believe a once saved, always saved. We do not believe that whatsoever because it's not biblical. But let me encourage someone today that his grace is still sufficient. If you are still struggling with a need in your life that you cannot break, an addiction you can't break, or something that you can't, you can't handle, let me just remind you, his grace is still sufficient. Lamentations 3.22 says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. I am so grateful for the faithfulness of God in my life. I am so thankful for his grace in my life that his compassions have never failed me. When we experience God's forgiveness, when we experience the true repentance, when we say, God, I'm repenting of my sins, I want to change my entire life, we experience true liberty. The definition of liberty, according to Webster, simply means free, unoccupied, or unrestricted. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is that spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now, we sang that song this morning about this, where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. And sometimes we can sing a song and we don't realize what it actually means. We don't realize what it actually truly means that when, when the, Lord is, the Lord is a spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is there is liberty. The Greek word for liberty, I'm going to probably mispronounce this, but eleutheria, something like that? I don't know. Close enough. But it means true liberty is living as we should, not as we please. One commentator put, freedom from the dominion of corrupt desires so that we do by the free impulse of the soul that the will of God requires. Simply, what does that mean, preacher? When you receive true liberty, you will be able to pursue after the things of God more easily than before. When you receive true liberty from God, you will hunger and thirst after righteousness. You will no longer hunger and thirst from the things of the world, the sins, the the temptations of the world, but you will hunger and thirst after righteousness more than ever before. So the question has got to be, how do we obtain true liberty? Preacher, that sounds great. You write a scripture, and we have faith that the word of God is true. It is still, it is still operating. It is still a great thing. But preacher, how do you get true liberty? I'm glad you asked. When we encounter Jesus, we encounter true liberty. When we have a true encounter with Jesus and we see him when we're at the altar, we're praying or at your, at your home or in your car, at your workplace, and you have a true encounter with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, you will receive 
true liberty. Because we realize that there is no one else that can break the chains of addiction but God. There is no one else that can set the captive free but Jesus. There is no one else that can break the yoke of bondage but Jesus. So when you read this scripture where the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty, we have got to walk in victory as an apostolic, realizing there is no devil in hell that can stop us. When he gives you liberty, he breaks you through from addiction and bondage. He can set you free and you don't have to go back to the same place where you were, but you can walk in victory and say, I am no longer a product of this world, but I am an apostolic. I'm a believer. I've been changed. The grace of God is still real. I wish there was someone in this room tonight who has been set free from God to stand on your feet and give the Lord a hand clap of praise right now. If you've been set free by the King of Kings, if he has given you liberty tonight, I wish you would stand right now and give the Lord a shout of praise. Oh, Because where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Every person in this room has a testimony of some kind. And I can tell you right now, we should never forget where we came from. That should never dictate where you're going. But you should never forget where you came from. Had it not been for the grace of God setting me free. We get the true liberty from the blood that was shed at Calvary. We get that true liberty. We can't do a lot of things on our own. We cannot save ourselves. Pastor Cox or the leadership team cannot say a prayer over your life and you are forever saved. We cannot do that. But it was the blood that was shed at Calvary. It was the ultimate sacrifice that Jesus Christ made for us is how we receive true liberty. I know I've been asked this question in my life before where they say, why does it seem like you have so much joy? Why do you always seem so happy? Why do you seem oh why do you always seem so upbeat? And in my friends, we know the answer because we've been set free from God. We've been set free by God. He has given us a joy that is unspeakable. He has given us a joy that's overflowing. It is by the grace of God He has done that. But I've been asked that question before, and I always want to give them that answer: that if you just try Jesus, if you just try Jesus one time. If you get an experience with God just one time, it will change your life. You will never forget what God did. You'll never forget the time you experienced God for the very first time. You will never forget that. You will never forget that. But we have got to realize that it starts at Calvary. The blood that was shed. 1 Peter 3, 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. We realize that God hates the sin, but loves the sinner. In other terms, another way you can say it is God hated the sin that I committed, but he still loves me. By God's act of paying the ultimate sacrifice, believers are eternally free from the penalty of, of guilt and sin. One act was enough to cover everyone's sin. One act, a spotless lamb, was enough to cover everyone's sin. You say, preacher, how does that make sense? I have faith because I know God did. I know that God did that. I know for a fact, there's no, I, I was not there in the, in the moment where they crucified him or he, he did all those, I wasn't there for those things, but I do believe in three days once he was crucified, he rose again. 
I believe that to the bottom of my soul that says that when, when the scriptures say he is no longer dead, but he is alive forevermore. He is risen. He is risen. He is still alive. And so I wanted to say right now for every apostolic here, God is still alive today. God is still doing miracles today. God is still the real deal. And you can put everything you got into the church. You can put everything you got into God because God will not fail you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. When you put it in God's hand, I can trust you right now. Your life will never be in better hands than in God's hands. You will not find a better place than in God's hands. You will not find a more loving father than Jesus Christ. You will not find another person that will care for you as much as Jesus does. We get true spiritual liberty when we bring it to the cross. When we bring our sins, we bring our addictions, we bring all these things to the cross first. Colossians 1.14 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. In whom we have redemption through his blood. DNA. We understand that he walked this earth in flesh. He robed himself in flesh, the scriptures say. He had the DNA of a king. However, he humbled himself as a servant. He, he was obedient to the cross, the Bible says. That is the king that we serve. But had it not been for the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins would never take place. We would still be doing the Old Testament sacrifices. We would still be trying to find a, a, a sacrificial lamb in the pasture saying, oh, I did this today, so I got to go do this. But it was by God's grace, by his blood that we are forgiven. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood. And without shedding of blood is no remission. Is no remission. Had there not been the shedding of blood, there would be no remission. Forgiveness or remission must come through the blood. In the Old Testament, they had to sacrifice animals to be forgiven. In the New Testament, they had a spotless lamb that was Jesus. In Colossians 1.14, the Greek word is ephesus. It says forgiveness or pardon of sins, letting them go as if they had never been committed. Remission of the penalty. That is what that Greek word literally means of forgiveness. That it says letting them go as if they had never been committed. I thank God for forgiveness. He wiped every single sin that I committed away. It is no longer on my record, and I thank God for that. I'm so grateful for that, but it took the blood. True forgiveness is simply that. It's wiped away. The slate has now been clean. God's blood was, that was shed, it pardons the sin that was committed beforehand, letting it go as if it had never been committed. And let me just remind everyone here today, we are under the law of grace right now. His remission of sins, it still applies to us today. When you ask God for repentance, he can still forgive you of every sin. I understand the enemy can try to lie and try to deceive and say, surely he can't do that, but it's a lie. God is still, he is still forgiving people today. He is still forgiving people today. So the question you got to ask is, how do you receive the grace and mercy of God? It's through repentance. Asking God for forgiveness of sins, repenting. I'm saying, I'm sorry, Lord. Uh, forgive me for what I've done. And changing your mind, changing your direction from where you were headed. As an apostolic believer, we still believe in changing your mind, changing your ways of life. 
As an apostolic believer, we, we believe that once saved, always saved is not true to us. That you must find, your, find the will of God and keep pursuing after the things of God. When you sin, you should ask God for forgiveness. You should repent of all your sins at all times. In fact, I remember I was in a Sunday school class many, many years ago where I, I believe it was Sister Lear teaching, and she was talking about one day when she mentioned that. She says, every day when I wake up or go to bed, one of those two times, she, re, she asks God to forgive me of all the sins that I know about and the things that I don't even know about. That has stuck with me for my entire life since I heard that because I realize there are things in life that happen where I may not know what I'm doing. But I can assure you right now, when I ask God and say, God, forgive me of all the sins that I know I've committed and the things that I don't know, I know the, the entire slate has been wiped clean. And I believe that God can do that today for every person here. But true repentance requires you to change your mind, to change your direction. True repentance. We can ask God, we can, we can do a lot of things, but when you, when you actually study out repentance, you realize quickly that it's not saying you can stay the same as you are. It requires a change. It requires a change in your life for true repentance. That is so key. If you have never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, that means there are still blemishes in your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. I thank God for the time when I was baptized at nine years old. I'm so grateful for that. For the people who have been baptized in Jesus' name, you probably have never forgotten that moment in your life. In fact, Sister Gabrielle, that I see today on Facebook, was it nine years? Praise God. Nine years since you've been baptized in Jesus' name. But here's the deal. Yeah, clap. That's all. You're all right. You can. Here's the deal with the water baptism. You will never forget that moment. And God, he removes every blemish, everything as if it never happened before. But it requires a change still. It still requires you to say, I'm putting away the old man. I'm putting away the old person, the old ways, the old way of thinking, the old habits, all these old things. I'm going to put all these things away, and I'm going to focus on the new things. All things are made new in Christ. I'm going to put on the body of Christ. I'm going to start following after Christ. But you have got to realize it still requires change. If you ever hear it from this pulpit that says you can be saved by not changing your life, I don't, we're not in Scripture. If you ever hear a preacher say that, it's not biblical. You have to change, and we still believe in that. Going down into the water, you leave the old person behind, and you come up out of the water as a brand new person. All things become new. God wipes away the stain of sin as if it had never happened. What I find interesting is that same word forgiveness in, that is found in Colossians 1.14 is used in the same context of the word remission in Acts 2.38, where it says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission. Everyone say the remission. For the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We realize that remission is simply that. It is clearing an entire slate. Everything is gone. It is no longer remembered. And I thank God for that. But we have got to realize that when you are baptized in Jesus' name, you are now identifying with Jesus when you are baptized in his name. You are now putting on the body of Christ. You are now putting on the things of God when you are baptized in Jesus' name. 
Once we ask for forgiveness and we truly repent of our sins and we seek after God and are completely sorry for the sin that we have committed, he has several promises laid out for us in Scripture. Psalm 103.12 says, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. If you are grateful for that, shout amen. Amen. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he that he blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake and will not remember thy sins. I am so grateful that God has forgotten some things in my life. I am so glad that God has taken some things out of his memory of the, of the, of the old John, of the old man who didn't, who didn't follow Christ. I am so grateful for that. But let us realize this. We should never forget the miracle of asking God for repentance and him, 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 and him forgiving us of all of our sins. We should never forget that miracle when he says, I will forgive you of everything you've done. That is a miracle that is taking place right now. The Bible says that there is joy in heaven over one sinner, one sinner. And I'm here to preach a simple message tonight. I am glad that God is still pouring out his grace and he is still forgiving sins today. I am so grateful that I am an apostolic. I am saved by the grace of God. I am trying to live a holy life separated from the world. I am glad to be an apostolic. And I am glad he has casted my sin as far as the east is from the west. I am so grateful for that. Romans 6, 3 says, Know ye not that so many of us are baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. We realize that baptism is not just a step of salvation. It is absolutely necessary for salvation. We understand that today. You're making a a declaration that you are ready to put on Christ. Galatians 3.27, for as many of you as as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. From the record in the book of Acts, it's clear that the early church administered watered baptism in the name of Jesus Christ. When you, look, when you go through scripture, you realize that there was never a person who was baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. In scripture, there was never a person who was baptized that was an infant. You realize in scripture, none of that took place because it's not biblical. If that ruffles your feathers, if that kind of challenges your beliefs, let's have a Bible study and talk about that. But when you read the word of God as it is, you realize that we as apostolics do not water down doctrine. We do not say, well, if this happens, will this, ha- will this change that? Over this past year, I've been asked some pretty hard questions in regards to some situations that have taken place in our district. Well, if, if, if this young man served God for all, you know, all these different things, I don't make the rules. I can understand what the Bible says about life and death, about salvation and holiness. I, I can tell you what the scriptures say about that. At the end of the day, I can say he's a righteous judge. It's in his hands, and I'm glad it's in his hands. But let's be very clear. As apostolics, we cannot water down this doctrine. We cannot try to make it appeasing to everyone's ears and try to help them understand and all these things. But let's be clear. We have got to preach the word of God as it is if we are to be apostolics. You'll never find it in the scripture where people were baptized in the the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. However, there are countless examples of people being baptized in the name of Jesus. Acts 2.38, Acts 8.16, Acts 10.48, Acts 19, and man, there's a ton of them. Here's the deal. I do not want to follow tradition. I want to follow the word of God. 
If you are to say, I'm an apostolic, you say, I follow the word of God. I do not follow the traditions of men, but I follow the word of God. If you say, I have the apostolic DNA running through my bones and my blood, you've got to believe every single word in the, in the scriptures. You cannot change it to make it fit your life any better. The Greek word for baptism is literally baptizo. It literally means to be immersed or submerged. Baptized is used as submerged is found in 74 times in the New Testament. The word baptism is found 22 times. However, the word baptism is always connected to the blood. Hebrews 9.13 says, For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh, how much more? How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more shall the blood of Christ, his blood was the ultimate sacrifice. Without the blood, we cannot be cleansed of our sin. Without his blood, we cannot be cleansed. God understood how important his, the sacrifice was. John the Baptist knew how to baptize people. He understood. He baptized so many different people. He knew in John 3.23 where it says, And John was also baptizing in Enon near Salem because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. So they say if you can sprinkle water on someone's head and they're baptized and they're saved, why would John need a lot of water there? If it, was, if it required a simple sprinkle over someone's head, why would he need a lot of water to baptize someone? Because John the Baptist knew he had to baptize them by immersing them or submerging them in the water. The water is what's not, is not special. It's not holy water. It can be river water. It can be a baptism water here. It can be whatever water you want it to be. That's not what matters. When you apply the name of Jesus to the action, that's where things start changing. Matthew 3, 16, and I'm almost done. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. Straightway up out of the water. When Jesus was baptized, let me just stop there for a second and say, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. Amen. If it's good enough for the King of kings and Lord of lords, it's going to be good enough for me. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Being baptized in the name of Jesus and being immersed in water is the only biblical way to be baptized, to have remission of sins. That is the only biblical way to have complete remission of your sins by being baptized in Jesus' name by immersion in water. That is what Scripture says. And so let me just reiterate a statement that I made earlier. It's not time that we listen to the voice of tradition. It's not time that we listen to the voice of maybe just people who say, oh, we can make it a little bit easier. Surely we can, we can water down this process a little bit. Maybe we can help them understand this. Yeah, we'll help them understand scripture. But we cannot water down this doctrine. If you are going to be apostolic, you cannot water down this word of God that can change life. The word of God is quick. It's powerful. This word of God is so powerful. And if we're going to be apostolic, we have got to believe that to our core. If the music can come. One thing that I felt as I was praying for this message, over this message, was simply this. I'm not going to discuss the entire topic of Holy Ghost because that's someone else's task for next week, possibly. But it's really tempting to. But I believe there is a joy that comes in being baptized in Jesus' name. There's a life-changing joy. 
that takes place when you are baptized in his name and you are, every one of your sins is completely forgiven. Let's be clear. We can wear a suit and tie and we can look like our life's put together. But had it not been for the time that we were put down into the watery grave of baptism, where we changed our old life and we became a new man, a new creature in Christ, when we realize that simple statement right there is that we can turn from our old ways, we can turn from all the things of this world, we can say, God, I'm ready to change my life, and it's taking place still. We had a baptism a few weeks ago, and I'm so grateful for that. But my friends, there are people in your places of work. There are people in your family who need to hear the, uh, the doctrine of being baptized in Jesus' name. Not because the apostolic church believes it, but because it's in the word of God. There are people all around our area here who need to hear this saving message about the blood of Jesus Christ, who need to be set free from addiction, who need to hear the testimony from a brother or a sister who can look him in the eyes and say, had, had it not been for the love of God, had it not been for the grace of God, I would be in the same shoes or I'd be in the same place. But I am grateful to say as an apostolic, I have the joy that is unspeakable and it is full of glory. I am so glad to say that I was... I, I was saved by the watery graves of baptism and God saw it fit that I received the gift of the Holy Ghost. And let me remind someone tonight, we have victory when you have the Holy Ghost and you've been baptized in his name. Let me remind someone right now, the enemy has no dominion over you when you call upon the name of Jesus. The enemy has no say over what's going on in your life. As apostolics, we can boldly declare Jesus. We can boldly declare Jesus over your family, over your job, over... And what I feel in my spirit today, it's easy for the Midwesterns to cry and lay our faces in an altar and say, oh God, forgive me of everything. It's so easy for us to do it. I'm an emotional person. I can do that right now. But what I felt in my spirit tonight was simple, simply this. We do not have to beg God for forgiveness. We don't got to say, God, I did this. I did all that. We say, God, forgive me of my sins. And instantly you are forgiven of your sins. Where we make the mistake as apostolics is we linger there for a little bit too long. And we start saying, oh, God, please forgive me. Oh, God, I did so much wrong. God, help me. And we lingered there. And I can tell you that's not of God. Because God already forgave you of your sins. God already forgave you the things that you did yesterday or last week or whatever you were repenting for. That is not God's will for your life to stay down and out and say, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. However, God is saying, I have given you a new life. Yet my blood is still, my blood that was shed on Calvary is still being poured out today. The blood that was shed many, many years ago is still working miracles today. And so I feel victory in my spirit tonight to say, there is not a devil in hell that can stop the, the flow of the blood from the cross. There is not a God. <laughs> There is not a devil that can stop the, for, the forgiveness of your sins. There is not a person who can stop that. And let me encourage someone tonight. You got to walk in victory. I am a child of God. I have been saved. I have been set free. We are no longer held captive by sin. You can stand with me. We are no longer held captive by the things of this world. When we apply that blood from Calvary upon our life, 
Will we apply that blood and say, God, forgive me, you are forgiven. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, this is ready to go. The difference is simply that every sin that you've committed is completely gone. But let's be clear. It's the enemy who says you're not forgiven. It is not God. It is not the church. It's not the leadership team. It is the lie of the enemy that says you are not forgiven. You have not been set free. And so I felt it in my spirit tonight to rehearse that same scripture. For where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. That means you have freedom, you have dominion, and I can tell you right now, the spirit of the Lord is here right now. There's, I feel liberty falling in this sanctuary. I feel people's chains being fallen and breaking before our eyes today. I believe God's victory is taking place right now with every hand raised and every voice lifted right now. Heavenly Father, help us tonight. Come on, lift up your voice right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Give us victory tonight. Give us victory tonight. Give us the boldness to walk into our workplaces. Give us the boldness to walk into our schools. Give us the boldness right now, my God. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Here's what we're going to do, then we're going to move on real quick. We're all going to repent of our sins. Because the Bible says, for all have sinned. Every one of us have sinned here. And so we're not going to call the people who are sinners because this entire thing will be full. So what we're going to do is simple. We're going to repent of our sins. I'm not going to give you a rehearsed prayer. But I'm going to simply ask the God, Lord, forgive me of my sins. And that tells me I'm ready to change my life. I'm ready to change my direction, change my mind. I'm ready to be a new person, a new creature in Christ. So we're going to start off with that right now. We're all going to repent of our own sins right now. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your grace in our life. We thank you for your blood. We thank you, Lord, for the blood that was shed on Calvary for me. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you and we hope you have a great week.